It is indeed a pleasure to be here for, for uh, it's been too long with COVID, etc., uh, to be actually here in person, and it's a delight to be here, and especially for this occasion, this uh, celebration of confirmation. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be delightful in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it is a celebration. Alex taking this step in his own faith journey publicly here in the middle of the community of all saints. In our Anglican tradition, the reason that the bishop presides over confirmation, laying hands on him as a sign, is is because it's a sign that the whole church, the worldwide Anglican communion and the whole universal church is here praying for Alex together with us this morning. Anglicans consider that confirmation is a sacramental act. I still remember the definition of sacrament from my own confirmation. I'm sure many of you do too. An outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Confirmation is a sign that God has been active, has been active, is active, and will continue to be active in Alex's life. And that Alex has responded, is responding, and will respond to that love. We pray for the Holy Spirit to surround and guide his life. And as you know, laying on of hands with prayer is an ancient biblical sign of being commissioned, sent, to live out our response to God in the particular situation in which we live, in the strength of God. And we will, with Alex, we will all renew our baptismal vows together this morning. For Alex, this is a deeply personal act, but it is always done in community. We enter our baptismal promises, our covenant with God, in response to God's grace, in response to God's love poured out for us unconditionally. And we take these responsibilities, this covenant on, we take it on ourselves, but we do not do it alone. We know we cannot thrive in our faith by ourselves. The story is told of C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, sitting by a fire with a friend who said, I don't need the church. I can live out my faith by myself. And Lewis reportedly, did not say anything. He simply got up, kicked a burning coal out of the fire onto the stone hearth in front of the fire, where, sitting by itself, in a few moments, the ember gradually cooled and died out. Good thing is, if you put it back in the fire, it lights again. The first baptismal vow we take is to continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in the prayers. That's a direct quote from the book of Acts. I probably should have asked the EFM grads if they knew that. Where does that come from? A direct quote from the book of Acts, a description of the early church community, this community of belonging where we are always welcomed and loved. It was delighted to present the EFM certificates this morning. That, to me, is a direct fulfilling of that first 
baptismal vow, to continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to study scripture together. It's this first vow of living in community that gives us the support we need to live out all the other vows, the serving Christ in all people, respecting the dignity of everyone, safeguarding the earth. The early Christian monastic communities named living in community as one form of witness to Christ. In fact, called it green martyrdom. Red martyrdom being to literally physically give up your life, being killed for your faith. Never something we seek, not something most of us are called to. But the recognition in the early church community that we do give up our lives to witness to God in other ways, and living in community is one of those ways. I usually speak more about the scripture readings, and here I am halfway through without once mentioning them. But I wanted, I wanted to say those things about confirmation first and just highlight a couple of points of wisdom from this morning's texts that I pray that Alex and all of us carry with us into our Christian journey. A couple of images to take with us as we renew our vows. The third Sunday of Advent is called Gaudate Sunday. Some of you will have uh, that uh, one of the traditions is to have pink candles on the third Sunday, just to mark it off as a as a as a switch from a more penitential beginning of Advent into a joyful. Gaudate means in Latin joyful, rejoice. So after the first two Sundays of Advent, with their vivid calls to stay awake, to be alert for God's coming reign in our midst, uh, sometimes alarming apocalyptic uh, descriptions of the disruptions of the end time that are meant to wake us up, John the Baptist's warnings of judgment and calls for repentance, the invitation to live with expectancy. And now as the the kind of the camera pans from the end of time in to the Christ child being born in a couple of weeks, there's a, t- there's a shift in tone in Advent. There's a note of joy in this third week of joyful expectation. Our canticle, a canticle is a scripture song that we sometimes use in worship instead of a Hebrew psalm. The canticle this morning is called the Magnificat. The Latin word that you know from English means to make larger. Mary's song, my soul cries out, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The soul, in Hebrew, the nephesh, the whole being magnifies God. Notice that Mary, in the midst of these momentous events in her life, no doubt scary events, seeks out community. She goes to her cousin Elizabeth, an older, wiser mentor, who is able to see and interpret the spirit at work in their lives. This song draws so much on Hebrew scripture that I actually wonder if the two of them didn't sing it together. At clergy conference at the end of October, and I don't know if Gary and and, uh, Chris have said this, but we we had as our speaker a Lutheran pastor from the Bronx, of all places, uh, Heidi Newmark, 
who walked us through the text of this Magnificat. And she handed out to us tiny magnifying glasses. It actually, I'm carrying it with me these days because you can actually look at the labels on things and see it. <laughs> um, but her question to us when, with these magnifying glasses was to ask us what we magnified in our life. Do we magnify God's promises or do we magnify our anxieties? Do we magnify the person who is annoying us? Or do we magnify God? What do we focus on? And I've pondered this question over the past few weeks, and I realized that several, in fact many times a day, I see a magnifying glass. It's the search icon. And I press it many times a day. And now, as I've thought about this, I've started to say, magnify God's promises. Whatever else I'm searching for, (laughs) magnify God's promise. And it's become a prayer reminder to me, a call to praise that pulls me out of myself into an awareness of God. So Mary, in the midst of all the disconcerting, major, frightening changes, that disruption to her life that will bring uncertainty and threat, one of the prophets says to her, a sword will pierce your heart. This is not an easy calling Mary is entering. But she turns to God at that moment in praise and rejoicing, reciting what God has done in the past to liberate God's people, and she connects her story personally to what God has done all the way through history, liberating the people of God. I would invite you, Alex, to take Mary as one model for your life of discipleship. Mary says yes to God. With courage and with boldness, she sees God at work in what's happening to her. She sings. She gives voice to praise and rejoicing. She magnifies God. And she anchors herself on God's promise at a time when evidence of fulfillment of God's promise is in short supply. She focuses on those promises nonetheless and allows those promises to shape her hope. Mary does what you are doing today, Alex, by being confirmed what each of us do by reaffirming our baptismal covenant. One of today's um, prolific Hebrew scripture scholars, Walter Brueggemann, says, we are invited to put our lives into a narrative where God is the defining character. To put our lives into a narrative where God is the defining character. Mary rejoices and recognizes that she is blessed. Not blessing as in all things are going swimmingly when you are an unwed pregnant woman under Roman occupation. Mary engages this song of praise for God's ongoing liberating work, God's work of emptying the rich so we can be full of God. Mary enters into praise, letting go. Praise is a way of letting go of ourselves and putting God at the center. Letting go of our own narratives of self-sufficiency 
and living a life of trust in God. Living a life rooted in God's abundance, a life headed towards God's faithfulness. Leading us into lives of generosity and vulnerability. And the other just short text I want to I want to pull us into on this Sunday of rejoicing is the exuberant poetry of Isaiah's vision. Isaiah envisions the exiles returning home full of joy. Remember the exiles. Here's another quiz question for the EFM. Exiles were the people of Israel who had been displaced to Babylon. They'd been defeated by the the foreign superpower. They were taken captive. They were prisoners. Their temple and their city and their farms, their whole landscape was in ruins, desolate. And it's described in this passage as broken bodies languishing in need of healing. Exiles is one of the key metaphors of who we are in our own time as people of God. We are people who are not home. We're separated from what we have held dear. We're not in an atmosphere where we can thrive. Disrupted by rapid change, by a culture of individualism, consumerism, anxiety, caught in a system that's destroying our very planet. That sense of powerlessness and oppression, exile. The exile's question is, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we be people of God in 2023? Isaiah holds out this exuberant vision of a very clear highway, a road from exile home to God. And Isaiah, in transformative poetry, sometimes preachers shouldn't try to turn it into prose. We should just sing it, read the poem. Nature is exulting in the fullness of beauty, a profusion of wildflowers. Deserts shall bloom and rejoice and blossom abundantly. Water, in the midst of a drought, water fills up the cracks. The images of healing, the healing of creation, and a vision of liberation for the whole creation. This is not individual salvation. It is the whole earth. Glory and majesty of God can be seen in the glory and majesty of cedar trees and flowers. That's the vision we hold out in Advent. Healing for all of the things that thwart fullness of life. And the people of God are given a task. Back to community. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a feeble, uh, ugh, feeble, fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. God will come and save you. We're told to preach this sermon to each other. Be strong. Do not fear. Here is your God. Again, it's a communal vision. We strengthen each other. We remind each other. Here is your God. 
We might not ourselves see it in this particular moment or situation in our lives, but someone else in community who knows us can help us to see it. God is here. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called a holy way. The unclean will not walk on it, not to project unclean onto someone else, but that God will have purified all of us. And it will be God's people on this highway. It says, no travelers, not even fools, shall go astray. I find this very comforting. (laughs) No lion shall be there. There won't be dangers, no ravenous beast. It will be a safe highway directly to God. The redeemed will walk on it. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Alex, today you mark your call to discipleship, to following Jesus on this road from exile home to God a journey in community with all of us as your fellow disciples. As Marcus Borg says, it's a journey towards God that is also always with God. May you find great joy on this road, this road that God accompanies you. We accompany you on this road. We joyfully accompany you on this road. Amen. Amen.